Hello, welcome to the Northern Business Podcast. Each week we talk to people active in business and the economy about the big issues driving growth in the north of England. We're sponsored by Virtue Motors, one of the UK's largest motor retailers. Check out its website at virtuemotors.com. I'm Graeme Robb, owner of Recognition PR. We help scores of businesses promote their products and services. Some are featured on this podcast. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing on YouTube or wherever you get your audio podcasts. In the studio today, we have Steve Hugill, who's the editor of Northeast Times magazine. There's his magazine. You've got to have a plug for a magazine like that. It comes out regularly. It's very glossy and very informative. Down the line, we have Jonathan Potter. He is the UK North Managing Director of Sullivan and Stanley, an award-winning specialist change consultancy firm, and they've consulted some great northern businesses, including uh, Manchester Airport. So welcome. And uh, can I just say to you, Jonathan, welcome to the programme. Your first time on, and good to have you on. Tell us about your consultancy. And it's, 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 I know it's a sort of 130 people, so niche in the, in the way of consultancy businesses, specialist and niche. Tell us about how it's set up and what its objectives are. Yeah, no, look, um, th thanks for the introduction. Um, we consider ourselves very much a, a disruptive force in changing transformation. So we help organizations um, transform and change their business, their processes, linking their strategy all the way through to execution so they can start to cut through and start to make a difference to the products and services that they then offer to market. Um, so. Uh, the, the business was, was born a number of years ago with the aspiration to inspire the future of work to bring together um, a collection of independent practitioners blended in with our own consultants to bring a, a perspective of consulting and, and practitioner-led mindsets um, to go in and help organizations do as I've just described. So very much change specialists. We put change at the center of a transformation, be that digital, be that business focused. Um, so that's what we're in business to do. And yeah, I'm, I'm based up here in, in Manchester um, and looking to bring our tools, our IP, our method, our approach to the region. Now, you're in Northwest and the, the Northern Powerhouse has been a concept for 10 years or so. In the ecosystem of the businesses that you're dealing with, are you seeing an appetite for innovation change? Is it a constant? Change is a constant? Yeah, absolutely. Every organization's got to, and if you're standing still, you're going backwards. So I think from an investment point of view, uh, make some very clear decisions around um, where they invest, how quickly they invest, ensuring that they're able to drive business benefit quickly um, and realize those uh, those benefits, therefore. So um, we definitely see organizations continue to invest in technology. If you're not doing that, um, it, it, it invariably going to start to lose market share to your competitors. So um, whilst uh, whilst the, the outlook has been challenging, I think, economically, uh, organizations know if they don't want to become a, a blockbuster, for argument's sake, uh, they've got to continue to invest in their people, their processes, their technology and their approach to market. OK, we'll drill down into some of the change drivers in a minute. But what about some of the drivers that can sap energy? Um, if, if I was to ask you about what you thought of the economy and what you thought of what the Bank of England was doing on interest rates, you'd probably give me uh, a point of view which, uh, which would be very interesting. But I know that you choose to try and focus and not let that noise creep into your day-to-day -day business life. Yeah, I tried to, I mean, I guess when you're running an organization, you're trying to scale and grow a business, and there's many of your listeners will be doing the same thing. Um, I find it can be quite dangerous to get too tied up in what's going on 
with the economy in ways and means that you can't control. So whilst I keep an eye on what's going on economically, of course, we need to have a perspective on that. I tend to look to focus on what are the challenges our customers are facing and how we can help them solve uh, solve solve those problems. Um, so, so, yeah, try and keep off mainstream media as much as possible and focus on the things that I can control rather than things that I can't. And I certainly can't control whether Rishi decides to uh, keep HS2 uh, coming up to the north or not. Yeah, fair point. And, and, and a point that maybe needs to be aired more in the business community instead of w- people worrying about everything all the time. We make a, we should be making our own weather, shouldn't we? Yeah, absolutely. I think let's be let's be optimistic. Let, let, let's look to what we could achieve um, mm. as a nation, uh, what we can do to boost productivity, to provide better services and, and products into the market. Um, and if we focus on that and drown out the noise, um, would we be more productive as a, as a nation? OK, so let's talk about the drivers of change that you're coming across in your daily business practice. You talk about technology. Um, technology can be everything from AI to the latest type of photocopier. So what what kind of technology? I'm, I was at a conference we're going to hear, hear about in a minute about the technology needed for uh, car batteries and so on. What what do you think are the key drivers that you're experiencing in technology? Um, well, artificial intelligence absolutely is, uh, is a key talking point, particularly around um, Gen AI, the application thereof, um, what the benefits could be to, to the organization by deploying that. So I think um, lots of organizations, businesses that we're talking to are, are starting to think about how do they get onto that uh, that, that, that pathway. The, the challenge invariably is if you haven't got your data and your infrastructure and your technology estate into a good place, then you're not going to be able to drive the benefits of AI. Equally, if you're not looking at how your people interact with the technology and therefore land the change effectively to increase that, that level of productivity, the technology lands flat. So we'll have all heard the statistics of uh, 70% of transformation programs failing. That's invariably, in our opinion, down to not ensuring that you're driving the change with your people um, effectively. So we, we, we're seeing a lot of talk around AI, uh, looking at how that might disrupt your operating model, what that might mean for how you gain competitive advantage, improve your efficiencies, become more data-driven. That, that's a key talking point right the way through to still looking at um, uh, how you transform your your, your back office. Um, what your target operating model might ought to look like, how you streamline and link and prioritize your, your program of work from strategy through to execution. That's 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 often the sort of work that we're seeing, the, the, the challenges that we're seeing businesses face and grapple with. I think, the, I personally think this AI thing is very, very significant. And I, I run a small business, as I said at the beginning of our program, it's a small business, and we've engaged a consultant um, to look at AI over the next uh, couple of months. And uh, she's going around and talking to members of staff. And now, my members of staff are very modern and very forward thinking, but nevertheless, it's, you've got to get it right. Because if, if one says to everyone, it's all about increasing productivity, that can actually be seen as a threat to some members of staff. It can be an intimidating uh, measure of change. And the question, from business clients is where does the productivity land? Does it land in the uh, profits of the business owner? Does it land in the um, the way in which your staff are deployed? Or does it land in reduced costs or fees to uh, customers? Or is it a mixture of both or all? I, yeah, I, I think it's a mixture of all of those and it's contextual to the organization. If you're a small business um, and you know we're still a scaling company, if we're able to more effectively utilize technology, AI being one, to streamline automate processes, you, know, you, you will feel similar pain to us where you know, there's 
you, you're often wearing different hats. If you're able to get your people focused and specialized specific areas because technology is enabling you to do that, then your small company can grow to a uh, mid-sized company. If you're a large organization, you've got the constant threat of um, more agile, nimble organizations coming into your sector and disrupting. If you take insurance sector as, a, as an example, there's still a lot of manual effort and manual labor that's required through the underwriting process. Well, if you're a a PE firm with a few billion to invest and you could bring together the right people and utilize technology in the right way, you might be able to disrupt. And if you disrupt in that regard, you might be able to offer us cheaper price to market. Mm. Um, so that's that, That's one example. I think there is definitely a fear factor. There's definitely a, an anxiety around um, what the implications of AI is going to be. And there's a fight or flight. And I, I think organizations have got to look at and communicate effectively around what they think the benefits are going to be to the organization, but to their people. So you know, we, we've got to focus more on, on that skills gap. Um, we've seen it time and time again, where you know, um, the, the advent of the computer, the, the internet, there's always been a talk of displacement and, and jobs being lost, but actually we've seen the lowest levels of unemployment and, and careers and, and new categories of work spawning out. So um, I, I think we've got to be bold and ambitious and brave with it. Um, but we've absolutely got to look at the hearts and minds of, of, of our teams and make sure that um, we're taking them with us on, on that journey as we change. I think that's a very, very interesting answer. And, and of course, I, I apply it to my own business and not that uh, I just use it by way of example, but uh, we've got uh, the opposite of jobs being lost. There is a skills shortage in some, for instance, in video production. We're talking on video now. It's it's like hen's teeth getting video guys as or women as good as the one I've got. And if you want to expand the service, how do you do it if you can't recruit? Maybe AI is a way forward. And so you look at that kind of thing and then you you get to the point where you're making decisions and you're worrying about are you placing a bet on the wrong technology are you to use uh, an example that people my age understand are you buying Betamax when VHS is going to be the answer and that's perhaps why you need external advice in the method of making your decision yeah I think um, often you but the type of organizations that we work with are full of very bright, very capable individuals, but but everybody likes a sounding board. And, and I think in some instances, it's it's helpful to have an outside perspective where you're gathering and garnering lots of insight and lots of knowledge. And you've been and you've helped organizations go through that journey. So we're, we're supporting a number of businesses uh, with, with these sorts of challenges at the moment. And I think that brings comfort to some, to some organizations. So we've talked about AI. And we've touched on skills and World Economic Forum, not a, uh, a not something I, I regularly quote. They said that 50% of the workforce will have to reskill by 2025. Even if they were half right, that's still a large proportion of reskilling going on. So that's clearly a driver. Uh, are there any other drivers? Is climate change overdone as a driver? In what regard, sorry? Well, is uh, climate change could be overdone for the average business, but. In certain sectors, in northeast England, it's changing the way a lot of our process industries work. For example, the regulatory regime for climate change. It's changing the automotive sector, but it may not be changing banking as much. Um, not on the face of it, but if you think about the amount of data uh, that, that, that banking platforms consume, everybody's got to be looking at the sustainability agenda and thinking about how they can become more efficient mm. through the mobilization of their people through to even how they operate and utilize their, their, their cloud environment. So I think everyone's got a bit of an obligation to think about 
uh, how their organization could be more sustainable. Um, we're always so much focused on profit um, and perhaps less so sometimes over purpose and less so on a, you know, we, I think we, we globally have a responsibility to the planet now. Uh, it's all very clear that we're not looking after it well enough, that should that become um, a key characteristic that business needs to be benchmarked on, what, what are you doing to ensure that you are sustainable and as ethical as possible. And so I think that can be said for lots of organizations, different shapes and sizes. We, we can all play our part in that. Okay. Are there any other trends that you are seeing that you're regularly being asked for consultancy advice from these dynamic businesses? Well, we specialize, as we've discussed, in the change and transformation space. So if I focused it in there, um, we know businesses need to deliver results faster. So often you find a big program of work taking two to three years longer than expected. Um, by that point, your strategy should have started and finished. So invariably, we're seeing more organizations looking to deliver results faster. We often see that there is a gap between strategy and execution, i.e. there isn't a, a, a maximizing of flow of work through the portfolio of activity that needs to garner the whole organization. Um, so we're seeing a lot of challenge in that regard. Um, and generally driving the change ends of your people is something that um, is easy to say, a lot harder to actually do, to, to, to realise realize the benefits. Well, Jonathan, thank you for joining us on the Northern Business Podcast today. I'm sure we'll have you back. Thank you very much indeed. That was Jonathan Potter uh, from uh, Sullivan and Stanley. He's the UK Managing Director of that change consultancy. And while we're talking about change, uh, I was fortunate last week not to be going to any of the party political conferences, but to go to a conference that was held in North East England that was the very uh, personification of change. It was discussing our future resources, critical minerals, battery technology, energy, and the way that uh, in the northeast of England, our process industries, our offshore industries, and our fabrication industries were contributing to a supply chain of energy that goes from the production of energy to the storage of energy to the use of energy, particularly in propulsion in motor cars and trains. It was a fascinating conference. My colleague Jamie Collis came with me, and here's a short film with some of the representatives there. Thanks, Graham. I'm here at the Common Rooms in Newcastle for the Northeast Future Resources Conference. Uh, this conference is looking at the challenges and opportunities that are involved in achieving the energy transition, particularly in areas such as electric vehicles and battery production. Let's uh, find out a bit more about what's going on and uh, what people are talking about. First up, we're talking to Stuart Dixon. So Stuart, why have you organised this conference? So the Northeast Future Resources Conference is to really bring together a wide variety of thought leaders, influencers, operators who are leading and influencing energy transition. And that's a wide variety of illustrating trends, data, activities, developments, and opportunities right across the North. And Stuart, your business, Weirdale Lithium, is looking to be part of the energy transition. How is that? We're super excited about the opportunities for the North and Northeast in particular around energy transition, and more specifically around electric vehicles and, back to, and the battery supply chain. So here at Weirdale Lithium, we're, we're super excited to potentially being that supplier of local domestically produced lithium ethically and sustainably produced from geothermal brines into a battery supply chain. And the Northeast is really one of the only places in the UK where you can have a borehole to battery integrated supply chain. 
Richard Taylor from Green Lithium, what do you think sets the Northeast apart when it comes to lithium production? The Northeast has a unique place. It can go from brine to battery, as has been said today. There's nowhere else in the country that that can happen. So we are really excited to play our part as the lithium refiner in that supply chain. And we're here to support the other businesses and pieces of that supply chain in making that a reality. And joining me now is Lord Peter Lilly from the House of Lords Environment and Climate Change Committee. Lord Lilly, can you tell us what you've taken away from today? It's quite clear, not least from this conference, that the North East is at the actual centre of the energy transition as far as the UK is concerned. Not just with offshore wind, potentially with resources like lithium and with uh, the hydrogen economy too. And so I'm learning a lot. Uh, and I have wished that all the members of my select committee on the environment and climate change from the House of Lords were here. Philip Oldham joins us now. You're from the Advanced Propulsion Centre, so can you tell us why you take part in events like this? Events like the one today is really important because it doesn't only bring the industry partners together, but it also brings the investment community, the researchers, the finance guys, and actually the technology developers themselves looking at how they can get the investment to take it forward to the next step, but also to make sure we're informing government of where maybe some of those incentives need to be. And finally today, we're joined by Henry Sanderson, author of Volt Rush, the winners and losers in the race to go green. So Henry, how can the UK make sure it's one of the winners? So the UK is rapidly transitioning to electric vehicles, but the question is, are we going to get the jobs from this transition? Are we going to produce the electric vehicles and batteries in this country? or we're gonna be reliant on imports. And the UK really needs to invest much more in battery manufacturing, as well as the rest of the supply chain, as well as looking at where we have an advantage or which areas we can compete in. Um, and finally, looking for minerals that may be within the UK, but that we haven't looked at for a long time. Well, it's certainly been a very fascinating and interesting conference today. The delegates will have taken away a lot about the role the Northeast and the North of England has to play in the transition to a greener economy and the road to net zero. Graham, it's back to you in the studio. That was a great conference and I was very pleased to have been involved in it. And that's why I got some of the speakers on today's programme. Uh, Steve Hugill, you produce this brilliant magazine. It's the Northeast uh, Times magazine, which is a business magazine. A lot of the things discussed at that conference last week and the kind of change that was being discussed by Jonathan earlier are featured every time you have an edition of this magazine. And like me, I, I'm sure you would agree that it's great being able to tell people from outside the north of England just how much is going on here. Absolutely. Um, I think I, I always said to people, many conversations, people in the northeast, the business community and, and the people per se, I think we we still carry a kind of almost a veil of secrecy about what we do and how we do it. And we're quite introverted still, despite the fact we've got, you know, so many industrial highlights we can reel off about what happened, what's happened in this region over the centuries. I think we still got that bit of introversion to us. So, yeah, any chance we get to, to, to spotlight them, um, we, we grab with both hands. So that conference I wanted to use as our starting point for our discussion. It was held at the, uh, the Mining Institute in Newcastle near the station. Beautiful, you saw in the video, people are listening to this, panelled rooms and stained glass windows, uh, celebrating mining and being a place of learning for people who run uh, that industry. But now, a place where people were coming to discover and, dis and discuss um, mineral, critical minerals, 
um, energy, geothermal. And that conference was attended by 80% of the people came from outside the northeast of England. And it was amazing just to see that now in the northeast of England, there is extraction of lithium in the Weirdale Hills. There are plants being built to refine the lithium on Teesside. There are plants underway being in, doing well now making batteries for automotive, making batteries for trains. And of course, offshore, we've got the wind energy. So it was coming together as a massive supercluster of energy and propulsion. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think we're in a real, a really sort of, or getting towards a, a real sweet spot in this region for, for this industry. I think, you know, if we look back at where we were the leaders before, I think as a region, we can we can do it again. Um, you mentioned that the businesses that are here, the businesses that are coming here, whether it's the lithium uh, extraction companies, refining companies, whether it's people like the, you know, use Nissan as, the, as a headline name and it's partnership with the ASC and Vision um, with, with the battery manufacturing there. From top to bottom of the region, in that sector, in the renewable energy sector, Equinor, the Dogger Bank, there was a headline this week about the, the latest step in that. Uh, For people that maybe don't know, they were speaking at that conference, Equinor, mm. and if I've got this right, just this week, they switched it on, even though they're not completely um, uh, com completed with the turbines. Some of the turbines are there, yeah. uh, the early turbines, and now they're generating electricity and sending it uh, through the pipes, mm -hmm. through the wires, to the um, generating distribution station at Teesside. It's at Wilton. Yes. At yeah. Teesside. Yeah. So, it's a, yeah, I mean, that's a, it's a, it is a great example to show the progress that's been made and the steps that have been taken in, in the renewable sector and the various different areas and and the investment the North is, is getting. Um, and that can only be a good thing if you see people like Green Lithium, for example, and the plans on Teesside, Weirdale Lithium and what it wants to do and work with Tees Valley Lithium, for example. Um, there's a lot going on, and it's great to see that there are challenges and the things we need to do to to make everything fit together, but it's certainly pointing in the right direction. Nationally, uh, just this week, the Advanced Propulsion Centre issued a media release. Um, this obviously gives grants and supports um, electrification, not only electrification, but uh, propulsion technologies, not just for motor vehicles, but also trucks and trains and so on. And they've given out grants of 86.9 million um, and more, just about half have come to northeast England. Mm. Uh, Gestamp, for example, uh, received a large uh, proportion. Uh, and um, the, the national media release does show where, where we are. Mm. Um, so, Steve, I was talking to Jonathan about the trends. Now, you're picking up trends in what you're being told about. We've talked about this green propulsion and energy. What other trends are you seeing emerging among the business community of the, the Northeast? What, what's the zeitgeist? Yeah, I mean, I think, again, to, to repeat a little bit what we've discussed, technology is everywhere. Um, so lots of companies looking at how to, you know, use AI in, in, their, in their everyday operations, um, some more tentatively than others. Um, the healthcare sector, um, there's a lot going on in the healthcare sector in the region. We've got some good clusters up and down the region, mm -hmm. focusing on different areas of pharma. Um, and I think that that's a place where we, you know, we're making great, we've already made great strides. We continue to make more new developments, such as say the, you know, the Catalyst, the well, Helix development in Newcastle, for example, creating hot houses there for businesses to come in. A lot of them straight out of university and off they go. Um, on the flip side of that, 
obviously some, as I mentioned before, some are facing challenges. Funding is one, skills is another. Um, but but I think, you know, as a region at the moment, there's, there's, a, there's a real resilience. I think, you know, there's, we know about the headwinds and the challenges we've all faced over recent years. Um, the sense of resilience though, is strong from the conversations I have. You know, businesses are still pushing forward, still want to to get to their end goals. And certainly, you know, whether it's the, the tech sector, whether it's healthcare, whether it's energy, um, there are a lot of areas in the region that are, that are moving moving in the right direction. Now let's let's just finish up by talking about the magazine. Mm -hmm. Got to give it a good plug. It's <laughs> like, this is an interesting story, this magazine, mm -hmm. because it's transposed itself from being one type of magazine to another. Mm -hmm. It looks, it feels different. Tell us where it is and 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 a little bit of the recent history. Yeah, so so Northeast Times magazine actually dates back a good number of years, back to the nineteen eighties. Um, it's more recent guys. Uh, back in the middle of the 2010s, um, a new, basically a new broom swept, swept through, uh, new directors, new team took it on. Um, and with a real vision to create a magazine that had a, you know, a real national feel and a, literally a national feel to it, national quality, very strong on the imagery, but also on the, obviously the, the, the coverage as well. Um, and in recent years, we, we, we've, we've adapted it, we've molded it, we've gone with the environment. Um, <laughs> We actually took the decision in right in the middle of the pandemic, November 2020. We did a complete redesign of the magazine and towards what it looks like now. Uh, but it's like everything; it's never a finished job. Um, ultimately, it's there to celebrate the region. You know, we want to spotlight, showcase the businesses up and down the northeast that are doing well. The ones, like you say, that are, that are doing the things that are either completely new in a sector or pushing to be that way, the ones that are creating jobs, the ones that have got the really interesting ideas, the ones that have got the great backstories and the colourful stories that you can tease out, and just show the North East, but show the rest of the country what we're doing here. And the other thing about it is that I like many magazines and media outlets, it, the magazine is a, maybe at the heart of it, but it's more a, a hub, isn't it? it mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a set of platforms mm -hmm. and... Uh, I suppose, an ecosystem of people that you bring yeah. together. Yeah. Tell us the other elements that spin out of the magazine. Yeah, so the magazine sits at the centre, um, but obviously we have digital channels, so the website, for example, uh, which we build upon the magazine with. But one of the, the we do a lot of video as well, um, but one of the main areas that we've grown over the last 12, 18 months, two years, is um, our use of roundtables. Uh, and, and the creation of conversation within the region. Um, so rather than sitting down and interviewing a person about a subject, we get people in a room. Uh, so last week, for example, we had, I think it was 13 or 14 people in the room talking about how you scale up a business in the Northeast. How do you do it? Where do you look for support? Where do you go for funding? Where do you find the skills? How do you knit the skills with industry and various other topics? Um, and that's a big part for us because we, we pride ourselves in getting out in the region, talking to people, understanding what's going on every day, what, what they want to do, how they want to get there. Um, and our part within that journey is, is, is to showcase a story or either plug them into other individuals at events and help them get on that way. And, and we've had some good success recently with roundtables and events we've held where people have come along, they've never met before, they've met at the event, they've gone away, there's a connection being made. And actually now there's a business connection there as well. Um, and that's a, a fundamental part of the business. And as we go forward, there's a, there are, I can't say too much, but uh, a bit of a teaser, but there's, there are a lot of plans in place we've got that we'll be announcing soon to strengthen all 
all elements of the business to, to, to grow on what we've got. Well, see, I wish you the best of luck. Keep being a cheerleader for the <laughs> northeast of England. Well. And viewers who are listening or, view, or viewing uh, in other parts of the north for our Northern Business Podcast, I have to tell you, it's a good print, print publication. Thank you. And do join us again for another Northern Business Podcast. And we'll be on LinkedIn. We're also, of course, on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure you like and subscribe.